Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of Bring on the Podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson, here today with Eric Rubottom and JT Van Gilder. Eric, how are things in Colorado? Well, today they're awful darn windy. Hopefully we'll get some snow here pretty soon. Yeah. And a, a little windy for you too, JT? Very windy. And the beautiful Flint Hills that was hard to see at times today. So it's been a wild day in, in Manhattan. Not just K-State land, but like... Yeah. everything <laughs> mm-hmm. but a lot of case stuff to talk about too so we brought on uh which they golden Kansas city star beat writer Kellis robinette kill how are you i'm doing good survived the apocalyptic weather today so yeah ready yeah. you are ready to conquer the world now <laughs> yeah and so we're going to talk some football and basketball so let's start with Kellis. you know the k-state came out with the news today I-, I was glad to see you know they're at least trying to do something where they moved the basketball game versus Texas fans should be able to watch that game on January 4th and then the football game. So that seems like a good thing, but you know, why does that even happen in the first place? Like why does, does the big 12, don't they know that there's going to be a football game that day? Why would they schedule basketball games? (laughs) Um, Well, there's only one football game on the schedule that would conflict with that and it just yeah. ha- just so happened that Kansas State got sent to that bowl game so kind of a weird thing of luck I suppose they uh, a better option probably would have been to work out a solution where they just moved the game back a day entirely and play on Wednesday mm-hmm. you know both that way they go Saturday Wednesday and then Saturday again I don't really know why Texas would object to that but instead they moved from seven to six and yeah I don't I don't know how many people are going to show up to that game. It's hard enough for basketball to compete with football, even when football's not playing. So that'll be interesting. But yeah, props to them for finding a creative solution to at least give it a shot. Yeah. And I was wondering, you know, how hard would it have been to like let people stay and, and put the football game up on the video board after the game? Yeah, that's another good good idea. You should be, uh, should be <laughs> sending these ideas off to Gene Taylor. You might be onto something with that <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, you know, LSU hosts Kentucky that night. But um, I assume you're going to be going to the football game, though. Yes. Yeah, so I'm <laughs> I'm heading down to Houston on New Year's Day. So I will not be at the Oklahoma or Texas games to start Big Joe play. I'll be watching those on TV just like most everybody else. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, a few things that you know, people are thinking about the football game. We're going to talk LSU with one of their beat writers next week, so we won't get into that too much. But, you know, the, the big thing people want to know is what is Skyler's health status and what, what's he going to be able to do in the bowl game? I mean, I, I think he should be able to play. 
he was pretty close to playing when they finished out the season against Texas. I mean, if he was close enough to dress and warm up for the game, you would think that with more than a month uh, of lead-up before the bowl, he would be able to get out there and, and give it a go. Though he was on crutches and in a walking boot the last time I saw him immediately after that Baylor game. So it was a pretty significant left ankle injury he had to come back from. And with this much time off, yeah, the plan is Kansas State wants to win. They're treating this kind of the opposite of LSU. They got most of their guys to come back for the bowl. They want to get to eight wins. They want to beat to beat LSU. They want to Skyler wants to go out with a bang. So I would I would assume as long as there aren't any more setbacks, he'll be out there. Yeah. yeah. And then Another thing with the offense is, you know, and Coach Kleiman talked today about how it's kind of tough to 20 running backs that to play behind Deuce. But also, I mean, the depth chart for the, this game, what's that going to look like with Joe Irvin and Jacardi Wright both transferred out? Yeah, well, those are, I mean, really the only two, you know, big names that aren't going to be there, at least from an offensive standpoint. You know, they've played quite a few games without Joe Irvin already this season. Uh, Jacardier Wright, I mean, how, how many snaps did he even have this year? Not a whole yeah. bunch. So I don't know that that'll change too much. If we, if there is an adjustment, I, I bet it's that we see DJ Giddens, the kid from Junction City, in a little bit of a backup role for Deuce Vaughn. If there are carries to be split there, I bet he gets them. Maybe uh, maybe Clyde Price, maybe we see some action from him for a change. I, I don't really think that's going to be a big drop-off for him. I mean, clearly, uh, unless Colin Klein just has a much different view of things, than uh, what they've done all season. They really like to give Deuce Vaughn the ball. I mean, it makes yeah. sense. He's their first-team all, first All-American, first all-purpose player. So I don't think that'll change. But when, when they do need another running back in there, we'll see some new faces. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, let's talk about, uh, you know, recruiting or recording this on signing day. First of all, before we get into K-State's recruits, there's been a lot of talk about Adrian Martinez. He came to visit. I think Kleiman has made it clear he wants a quarterback. You know, what's the latest on Adrian Martinez, Manhattan? I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I was kind of under the assumption that he would have committed by now um, and announced it. It hasn't happened, so I guess the longer that goes on that he hasn't made his announcement to Kansas State, that's got to be a little bit worrisome. But, I mean, by all accounts, he was down to Kansas State and Cal, and the allure there, I guess, is his girlfriend plays soccer at Kansas State. And he's from California and at one time was committed to the Bears. So I guess those are his two choices. What does he want to do? He's visited Kansas State twice. I mean, that sure makes you think that he's going to end up choosing the Wildcats unless some other mystery team has entered the picture. I still think he'll probably end up here, but it is a a little bit of a mystery when an announcement might come, or I I guess the longer it goes on, if it comes. Mm-hmm. But those, those transfers are tricky. They're, they're not like high school recruits where they uh, get out and brag about every single thing that happens. So sometimes you just got to wait. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering with our current, you know, with our uh, the folks that we have on the roster right now from a quarterback perspective, if there's some strategy involved with actually keeping it quiet till after the bowl game for one reason or another. Uh, it, it could be, especially if you were worried about, you know, Skyler's health and somebody else transferring immediately after if uh, Adrian Martinez came on board. That's a good theory. I hadn't really thought about that. But at the same time, Will Howard was willing to burn his red shirt and play against Texas uh, in that last game. So if there are any, you know, upset feelings or whatever, they feel like they want to move on. I I think they'd probably wait until after the bowl game. So that's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. I also wonder if there's even a bit of some of the the new NLI stuff that's 
you know, going in into that discussion, these like the transfer guys are a lot smarter. They know a lot more about what they want, what they need, and you know, mm-hmm. maybe he's seeing what kind of deals he can get, which market is more hype for him, and you know, they just don't have to be, you know, they don't have to make a decision right away. That those kind of guys are going to be a lot more patient. Really, they don't have to make any sort of decision until they actually have to enroll and get on campus for classes. I know uh, both K-State and Cal, their first day of classes is January 18th. So, I mean, we're talking about a month away that, you know, it could take a whole month for him to make a decision if if he really wants to make, drag it out that long. Probably not, but probably doesn't want to de- drag it out that long, but he could, theoretically. He could. Um, and there are more and more trans- uh, quarterback transfers hitting the portal every single day. So you never know. The more it drags out, maybe Kansas State finds somebody else uh, they like better who isn't who isn't injured. So you never know. It's, uh, but I, I, like I said, I, I thought it was going to be done by now. So it is a little interesting that it isn't. Yeah. And so then moving on to, to signing day, you know, in case they brought guys, of course, you know, Coach Kleiman, he's happy with his class. I don't know if there's ever been a coach who wasn't happy with the class <laughs> that he brought in. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, a, a couple interesting things. W- one of the things, and, and JT, you know, mentioned this. And his article that he wrote was, you know, a big miss is that there they were just four cannons. And I know they tried to sell it as, look, we, we get all these guys from all different places. But, um, you know, do you see that as concerning that they missed a lot of the top Kansas guys and didn't bring in a, a lot of Christian State? Oh, I mean, it's a tough one. You always want to look down there and see that they got, you know, the 10 best guys in the state coming in to, to play in Manhattan. It's just a tricky deal right now. I mean, who who were the top guys this year? Jaron Kanak. I mean, he was pretty off the board to Clemson pretty quick. Just seems like anymore recruiting in the state is just kind of hard in general. The players who are good enough to get other options seem, you know, they don't seem tethered to KU or K-State anymore. They seem like they want to spread their wings and, and go play somewhere else if they have the options. So it's kind of hard to keep the very best talent around. But I do like the guys that they have coming in from Kansas. The um, the kid from Wichita East, Toby. Uh, shoot, I don't even want to try his last name, but the, the linebacker there. I mean, he's got really good size, really good speed. I think he could be good for him. Sterling Lockett. I mean, I'm not going to complain about another Lockett coming up. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that he's going to live up to, you know, what Tyler did, but I didn't think Tyler would live up to what Kevin did or what Aaron did either, and he beat them both. So, you know, there, there's always some potential there. You'd certainly like more Kansas kids, but it seems like, you know, honestly, over the years, the Kansas kids they've had the best luck with seem to be the the walk-ons they bring in who they convince them to go here instead of KU or someplace else, and they end up shining for them. So you kind of got to wait a little bit, kind of like that old Bill Snyder ad. You got to wait two or three years before you find out which of these guys are really good, and especially with that many walk-ons, sometimes um, that's where you, you find the best players, oddly. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, uh, this is kind of a little off topic. I'm just curious to know everybody else's thoughts here. But, you know, just speaking of uh, the kid going to Clemson, what is going on there with your OC, your DC, and your AD all leaving (laughs) in the same year? Yeah, that's crazy. And he actually did not sign with them today. So the door is open a little bit for him to go somewhere else. I'm guessing he's going to end up with Oklahoma with Venables, but you never know. But yeah, that's very, that's very interesting. And what's funny about it is that this is the one year Clemson wasn't like this phenomenal team, right? They missed the playoffs and going to the Cheez-It Bowl. It's kind of funny that this is the year that people come in and rate everybody on their staff. 
But yeah, that's going to be very interesting, and especially with conference realignment going on. If if Clemson isn't the Clemson we've known for a while, it actually gives the Big Twelve a little bit of an opening to move up in the ranks a little bit. Yeah, and you'd always like to hope that there's an outside chance that Connect maybe ends up back at K State, but I I just know that's a it's a pretty hard uh, pretty hard sell. Either he's going to end up at Clemson or he's going to end up with Venables at OU. It'd be pretty sweet if he came to Manhattan, though. That highlight of him scoring that touchdown where he ran over like 45 guys, Tech Mobile style, was pretty incredible. Run, running through the stands to get the other, uh, the other, uh, the other 34 of them. Huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he took no prisoners. <laughs> uh, JT, I know you follow recruiting closer than I do. Uh, you know, what are your takeaways from this class? I feel like overall the class is at a higher level than we've seen in quite a while. They don't have the star power. There's no Jake Rubley on this class. There's no like four-star guy. You go, Oh my goodness. I'm glad we got that guy. That's a big pickup. But the overall floor of the guys that we did pick up is higher than we've seen in quite a while. So it's a very well-rounded class. It's just not like a going to stand up and go, Oh my God, look at how, how great the recruiting is. I mean, there's some guys on there and, you know, Sterling Lockett was obviously that like the legacy get and, you know, people love it. And you know, I think there's still some room, like we talked about, like if, if you get a Kanak or, you know, somebody really falls in your lap that is going to be good. Or even they're pretty excited about that. The late flip of Kobe Savage, the Juco safety that was originally committed to North Texas. That's a pretty good get. The O-line recruits that they've gotten. They're very, very solid, very good pedigrees there, especially Clem, the the son of the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line coach. Like that's a pretty huge get as far as, you know, your perception among, you know, the circles and at their level. And so yeah, it's just a it's a really like good, solid class. To, and in a way, it's a very K State kind of class. Like it's just it's it's not gonna wow you, but it's it's solid top to bottom. And I think it can do some good things. Yeah, I really like their offensive linemen. I think John Pastor, I mean, you look at 6'6", 285 coming in as a freshman. That's bigger than some of the offensive linemen they already have on the roster. And, and Clem, yeah, to be the, the son of a uh, NFL offensive line coach and to have the offer list he had, that's, that's a really good gift. And there's there's definitely some sleepers in this class, too. I mean, we, we talk about the linebacker, Toby, from Wichita. You know, we don't know about Struber or, or Edder, uh, especially Struber. I mean, he's coming up, he's played eight-man ball but he's just a, you know, a freak athlete and, you know, what can he do? And those guys won't even sign until, till February due to how they work in the counters. And even, you know, it's just, I don't know where it's going there, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it, there, there's some sleepers there too, guys that could really explode once they get in the system and stick around and develop. And then, I mean, it was interesting. I was watching Kleiman's presser and, you know, when he's asked about transfers, he said, yeah, we'll look into that, but he seemed to still have a preference for high school seniors. You know, did that surprise you at all? Or is that kind of the way they've always been? You know, that surprised me a little bit. I think maybe that's a little bit of coach speak. I was talking with Derek Young about this. I think we added it up. They got room for maybe 14 more guys before the, you know, start of next season. And I'll be surprised if the majority of those aren't transfers. Um, you know, maybe you want to split it, just go 7-7. Seven, seven. Or, you know, you, you want to take the right guys. You only want to take transfers if they're going to come in and fit the culture and, and uh, you know, play hard like the guys they brought in this year. 
think they'd rather have a, you know, a, a Reggie Stubblefield, somebody who's going to totally embrace what it means to play for Kansas State than somebody who's maybe guarded just because they've had stars or success elsewhere. But I personally think they could use transfers. They're losing a lot of their top talent on defense, and some of those guys are transfers. So replace transfers with transfers. And we've already talked about it here. They could really, uh, you know, use a transfer quarterback too. So I think there are definitely spots they'll want transfers. I think there will be spots where they want high school players. I, I did find it interesting that Chris Kleiman said there's really no way they could bring in a transfer running back. I hadn't thought about it that way. But that's mm-hmm. a position they'll want high school guys. You know, it wouldn't hurt to get another high school quarterback, just thinking that maybe if they do bring in a senior transfer, somebody else will, will leave. Jaron Lewis maybe. So it'll be a mix, but I bet in the end you'll see a few more transfers in high school guys. I think they also, uh, you know, realized, you know, at the beginning of the season, they're like, oh, the transfer portal is going to be great. And then the NLI stuff changed. And now they're they're back to maybe seeing that everybody is kind of hitting that the transfer portal the same way that K-State expected to. And so now there's there's actually a bunch of high school kids that are still sitting around without offers, without commits. And, you know, there's probably a few more of those kids that they weren't expecting to be available. And so might be going, you know, like, well, hey, we don't have to spend 10 on transfers. Now we can go get four or five more high school kids that we didn't think were going to be available. But yeah, they, and clearly they they're still going hard after transfer linebackers. That's definitely a, a big need. I still think they'll probably pick up, try to pick up like a transfer safety, somebody to replace, you know, yeast and or. Uh, McPherson and definitely, obviously, I, you got to have a transfer quarterback. I think even if you 100% believe and hope and trust in Will Howard or or Jake Rubley, you've got to have a a transfer, some even you know a grad transfer, somebody with some experience to step into that room to replace at least some of the void. Skylar Thompson's leaving. Yeah, so lots to look forward to there. You know, we'll see what happens. Um, like I said, we'll talk more next week about the, the bowl game in LSU. But for right now, let, let's uh, switch over to basketball. Before we do that, take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And we're back. So uh, this basketball team, Kellis, I feel like we kind of have to start uh, again with, you know, health for a lot of guys. You know, Nigel Pack came back and was able to play, but obviously was not himself. Michael Girl was out with COVID. Southern Miguel not necessarily back to his old self yet. You know, what, what's the health status of, of those three guys to start with? Well, they're they're <laughs> well, the guys who've been injured are getting better. Nigel Pack, you know, picked a rough time to get a concussion to have to sit out. Wichita State, Marquette back to back. You'd much rather him sit out back-to-back games when they're playing sub-300 Ken Palm teams at home. Uh, didn't work out that way, but he he was back on the court last week. You know, I, I think he'll either be in the starting lineup or the first guy off the bench against Nebraska. There's really no reason why he, uh, you know, shouldn't be out there. Maybe he can only play 20, 25 minutes instead of 30, 35, but he should be ready to go. So Miguel, I, I think he's fine. Whatever he was dealing with a week ago, I think he's recovering from that. And then Mike McGurl was, uh, you know, he just got the flu kind of out of the blue. He's He's got vaccine for COVID. He's got vaccine for flu, but he got that somehow. And I didn't know that in the state of Kansas, they recommend that you quarantine for the flu, but that's what Bruce Weber said. So he just missed four days of practice. And one of those uh, coincided with their last game. So he should be back. Maybe he's on a little bit of a limited basis, comes off the bench, something like that. But all three of those guys should play against Nebraska. 
Okay. And then what about, you know, and we've talked about this, Davian Bradford obviously had a head up out with pneumonia, but that was a little while ago. He, he still hasn't really shown us the kind of player that he was at the end of, by the end of last season, you know, how much is he just getting back into the swing of things or, you know, do they expect more from him? Yeah, I don't really know what to uh, say about Davion Bradford. I thought he would be much further along than he is right now, even when you factor in that he missed time with pneumonia. I never had that particular ailment, so you know maybe it is just really hard to work your way back from. But I, I mean, we all saw what he did at the end of last year when they they went four guards around him and they won a bunch, not a bunch, but they won a few games at the end of last season. Looked really good against Baylor in the Big 12 tournament. I thought he looked like the best true center that Bruce Weber's had uh, during his time at Kansas State. I kind of assumed that would just pick up and and he'd start the same spot he ended last year. It hasn't worked out that way for whatever reason. It seems to me like he's just a little bit slower. Has added on a little bit of the wrong weight. And maybe maybe part of that's just been because he's sick. And I don't really know, you know, when or if he's going to be back to full strength this season. But they, they seem to like Casey Isiago a little bit better in the starting lineup. And I, I do think they're a better team with, with Davion in there at center. Um, I think he brings more to the table, especially offensively. We might just have to wait a little bit longer before that happens. Mm-hmm. Well, and then in the backcourt, you know, once all those guys are healthy, you're going to be left with some interesting decisions, especially now that Marquise Noel has kind of stepped up and taken on a bigger role. You know, and Eric, I know you have some thoughts on this, on whether you can play Marquise at point guard and, and Nigel at the two. So I'll, I'll let you start here. Yeah, it's it, it'll be interesting to see if that's a possibility. I, that's kind of a thought that's that's floating around uh, message boards and forums and that sort of thing. Whether or not that's something that can really that can really work out there. You know, one of the things that it, it, it could work, but one of the concerns that I have is Marquise is such a ball dominant player. You know, he really he's not effective offensively without the ball. Like he, you watch, you you see how he scores. He's scoring with. He's not scoring off of catch and shoots. He's not scoring off of, you know, cuts where he's getting the ball delivered to him or anything like that. When he scores the ball, he's doing it, taking it on his own, whether it's, you know, his, his step back threes that he hits or, or you know, penetrating or, uh, you know, fast breaks, whatever it might be. He's such a ball dominant player that my concern is, is that it's actually, Nigel doesn't necessarily need the ball to be an effective score. He actually does score well off of catch and shoots, but with Marquise on the floor, it's kind of taking the opportunities of that away. So, you know, while it, while it seems like there might be a little bit of a yin and yang there, I, I'd be careful with that because we, you know, even though Nigel doesn't, isn't a ball dominant guard, he's still like, he still needs to get the ball in order to physically shoot it. Right. And that just doesn't seem like it's going to, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen a ton with Marquise, but who knows, you know, if the offense is set up in a way, where we've got that Nigel setting up around the perimeter as more of a true shooter as opposed to playing more of a point guard. Move Marquise over into a ball-dominant one, and if we can get him to, you know, to really start to look at that driving dish, that really could work. Yeah, that's a good breakdown. I really like the thought of it offensively, especially if Nigel is okay giving up the ball and taking the back seat in that department. I think it gives him a few more opportunities to catch and shoot, which is what I think he's best at when you give him the ball and he's open and he can step into a shot. I mean, he's just about always going to hit it. I do have some concerns defensively with that lineup. You're awfully small and uh, awfully small. Yeah. Yeah. Awfully small. 
against certain teams it works, against certain teams it doesn't, and that's something they're going to have to figure out moving forward. But Bruce Weber did make a comment a, a few weeks ago that said uh, there's sometimes in practice where he, uh, you know, just is kind of feeling like he wants to experiment with stuff, and it seems like every time he puts Nigel and, and Marquise together offensively, they're they're just scoring almost every time. And me as a, a guy who likes offense, I'm okay with that. Trade a little bit, bit of offense for defense, but. At the same time, we've seen if, if Kansas State is allowing the other team to get into seventies, it's it's hard for them to win. So it's a delicate balance. Yeah, I, yeah, defensively, actually, I really, you know, I think you can combat the two small guys with the right other three. And I, you know, I think those other three, I, I think those other three are going to be Mark Smith. It's going to be Selton, and it's going to be either Casey or, or or Davion. You know, it depends on whether or not Casey wants to move his feet and actually you know, stay on the floor for a few minutes or uh, if we're going to see him sitting on the bench because he can't keep from fouling. But, you know, I think where that would defensively break down is I think if you put those two on the floor with Mike McGurl, we're way too small. I think if you put those two on the floor with Ish, I think that's just creating too much of a liability in our in the bigger part of our floor. So, you know, I think it's set up correctly. I think defensively, you could just let those two guys go nuts out there and, and kind of keep it anchored. But you have to have the right three to back them up. I think that makes sense. So offensively, I mean, you know, I think against, like you said, against the sub-300 teams, K-State has been, you know, shooting the ball well, putting up more points than they did against those kind of teams a year ago. It's good. But then any other games and, you know, and the, the losses, and they, they've shot the ball really poorly, and they've missed a lot of easy layups too, it seems like. Uh, you know, how do you go about fixing those things? Practice. <laughs> <laughs> one of you guys can answer that one if you want i don't know they, they, they miss we how many times have we said this i'm gonna beat this dead horse again they miss the easy ones they make the hard layups it's the easy ones that we miss it's just it's mind-blowing like i have no idea what the deal is and it's focus i don't think it's a fixable issue it just they just need to start putting the ball in yeah. the basket it really is bizarre. We've seen, of, we, we've seen Mike McGurl blow a wide-open layup. We've seen Mark Smith blow a wide-open <laughs> layup. You see Marquise Noel do it. Um, he's the only one I can kind of explain. And I think the thing is with him, he's just so used to, you know, when he gets in there having people, having yeah. huge, huge guys blocking his shot that he needs to put, you know, that spin on the ball. And he makes it harder than it is even when he's open. But I, I really don't know what it is on the other guys, especially Mark Smith. You give him a free throw or a uh, wide open layup, and it's you know coin toss it whether it's going in. But then you give him a hard contested shot; he's making it and flexing. It's really bizarre. There was that that one particular one I remember from Marquette where it looked like Noel had had driven towards the basket and was just a, you know, like you could see it live. Like he almost looked astonished that he was so wide open, yep. and it confused him. And it was like. <laughs> Where is everybody? I guess I should shoot and you know, kind of put up a goofy layup that didn't go in. And it's like he was he was looking to yeah to hit that big guy and then dish, but he was so wide open. It's like I uh he his brain farted for a second, you know. Which which is really kind of funny because in that particular case, we just got done talking about Marquise being a ball dominant guard and you know, being kind of that <laughs> scoring first guard. And then all of a sudden we have a situation where he's not looking to score first. He's looking for that pass instead. And it's just like, man, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, and then, so the other thing is, you know, three-point shooting, I don't know exactly what the difference is, but I think it's like a 20 percentage point difference in those, you know, the cupcake games versus the, the games versus the good opponent. And obviously, you know, part of that is you're playing tougher defenses and just getting shots. Isn't there a little they can do better with the shot selection, be a little more patient? And, yeah, whatever. I mean, there's a, a lot of things they could do, but at the same time, I look back to the Oh, the game they had against Marquette, they had a great opportunity there late to tie the game up on a Ishmael Masood three-pointer where Marquise yeah. drives in the lane, kicks it out to him wide open, just misses. You know, that's pretty good shot selection right there. It just doesn't go in. I, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, if there's any pressure involved with that or just these teams are get, making it harder on them all game. I don't know. I, unfortunately, though, Nebraska isn't the greatest three-point shooting defense, so maybe they can. Mm-hmm. They can. Well, that's what uh, we maybe, said maybe, about maybe this too, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. That was a miserable shooting day for them. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just all mental, like the layups. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head to a certain extent. It's just it's the caliber of defense that you're playing against, you know. And and we do it to the teams that we play against, right? You know, we we've got a good three we we've got a good three point defense, and other teams don't shoot three point don't shoot the three point shot that well against us so you know it really I, I don't think it can it can be understated just how much like inches play in that you know and and the fact that a, a team like Marquette or a team like Arkansas or a team like Illinois can get out to you and just be three inches closer to you on that shot is huge for a lot of these guys especially guys that don't have necessarily a particularly quick release or that sort of thing the, you know just at that point it really is a game of inches yeah, and it is a small sample size, so, you know, maybe that'll change going forward. Well, yeah, I mean, in the case of, like, Ish, you know, we've been – even Wichita State and Marquette were two of our worst three-point shooting games that we've had this season, shooting under 25% in both, but all of a sudden, like, Ish can make shots. So maybe in his case, it was just a, yeah. a, a case of, you know, getting used to, to, to playing with this team on the floor. Hopefully it's now clicked as opposed to just being a streaky shooter. Yeah. So, Kellis, I mean, I think, you know, we came into this season saying oh, it can't be any worse than last year. At least in mid-December is better than the team was mid But just, I mean, how how much better compare with, you know, some... Well, I mean, the difference between last year is night and day. Yeah. You're going from a team that lost to Fort Hayes State, beat Omaha by, like, what, one, beat Milwaukee by one, and now they're, they're beating... I mean, now, granted, they're all sub-300 teams on Ken Palm, but they are just clobbering. These teams are bringing into Bramlage, you know, 20-plus points. They beat North – they just totally doubled up North Dakota, 84-42. So they're quite a bit better than they were last year. And that game against Wichita State, probably the best win they've had in quite some time. Um, not only is Wichita State pretty good, but it was in an environment that was, you know, a great environment, very loud, very tilted, black and yellow. Um, not a neutral court at all. The thing just with them is, you know, it, they're better. I just don't know if they're going to be quite better enough, you know, to make everybody happy because it seems like everybody else in the Big 12 upgraded too. I never yeah. dreamed Iowa State would be 9-0 and or 10-0 and right now, whatever <laughs> they are. I thought that was going to be two free wins for just about everybody on the schedule. So when you're looking at that, that makes things quite a bit harder. I think for Kansas State, this next game against Nebraska, honestly, could be a, a, a telling game. If they can go on the road and win it, especially, you know, somewhat convincingly, I think that's a really good sign for what they can do moving forward. If they lose, though, they're really going to have to do a lot in Big 12 play to make up for it. 
Yeah, Nebraska seems like one of those teams where even if on the road, if you lose to them, that that's one that selection committee is going to look at as a pretty bad loss in March. If case they, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they, they hit on all three of their transfers. I'll say that. I, I really like what those yeah. three guys have brought. Marquise, he's better than I expected. I thought he'd be no more than like a bench guy, but we've seen these last couple of games. He can do a lot with the ball that they, we haven't seen from Kansas State in a while. Mark Smith, same thing. I thought he would just be more of a spot-up shooter. He's being a lot, being really versatile. And Ish, when he when he's making shots, he's a, he's a nice weapon. The key with him is, you know, making sure he has more games when he makes shots as opposed to – that's the weird thing is they actually beat Wichita State in a game where he played miserably. So, yeah, I, but when he's making shots, they're, be, they're a better team. They need to find a way to get more of that. Yeah, and I know we talked about just real quickly about, you know, being better than last year. Frankly, I've seen improvement just since the first couple of games to the last mm-hmm. couple of games that we watched. You know, watching the first couple of games, I was like, this isn't going anywhere. This is so disjointed and not cohesive at all. Now, all of a sudden, you know, sitting there watching Wichita State, watching Marquette, watching, you know, Green Bay is not exactly a world beater by any stretch of the imagination. But watching that game, like, even though we lost at Marquette, it was almost it was almost enjoyable to watch us play because it looks like we know what we're doing. So, you know, talking about especially Marquise and, and Mark Smith, those guys have gotten better as the season has gone along. So I'm, you know, I, I'm definitely interested to see what happens against Nebraska. But this team has improved dramatically just since the middle of November when the season started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with you on that one. I, I thought it was kind of funny that – uh, maybe not funny, but odd that I know a few people who, after they lost to Marquette, said, that's it, I'm giving up on this team. And I kind of thought, I, I'm honestly seeing a lot of improvement, especially without Selton and Nigel in, in that game. I thought they were the better team. They just didn't happen to win. So, yeah, if, if they keep improving, um, I think this team still has some good things it can do. I'll, I'll tell you what, happens, I'll, but. I'll talk to those guys, whoever said that directly right now. If you gave up after what you saw in the Marquette game, you had given up on this team already because I came away from the Marquette game with like, you know what? These guys are going to get to where they're going to beat people. They're really close. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, and it'll be interesting once we get into the Big 12 plagues. K-State starts at OU home, then at West Virginia TCU at home. I mean, that's a relatively easy start to accomplish. Maybe you go two and two, three and one. Build some momentum there, and who knows what could happen. One thing I worry about starting against OU is that you know Long Kruger's gone, so we've got that <laughs> that guaranteed true. win is 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 out the window. <laughs> you know I don't know what we're gonna do with Mosier. He's already beat K State once with you yeah. know, yeah. like it could be rough. That <laughs> no one was more upset to see Long Kruger lead the league than Bruce Weber. I guarantee yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I guess so. Before we let you go, I mean, the big question that everybody's always talking about is, you know, what does Bruce have to do to keep his job? So, kind of, you know, where do you stand on that, Kellis? Is there? Well, I mean, well, I think there are a few things he can do. I mean, we're seeing improvement, right? So that that's the first thing. Nobody's going to look at this team and just say, like, man, this team has no talent, can't do anything. He's got it headed in the right direction, but just after the last two years, you know, he, he needs to make somewhat significant progress. There's certainly got to be a postseason berth of some kind this year to at least have something to prove, you know, to hold in front of fans and say progress. If it's the NCAA tournament, I think that's – it would be very hard to tell a coach who just made the NCAA tournament he can't come back, especially from what we've seen in the industry lately. It's been more in football than basketball, but we've seen some coaches at the at the end of some contracts like Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. 
and elsewhere who've said, you know what, things haven't been going, you know, the greatest. How about let's just sign an extension? It doesn't have to, you know, have the Agati buyout. Let's have it, you know, um, let's put some incentives in there. So if, if I win, I get paid. If I lose, you guys don't owe me, owe me all this money. If they make the NCAA tournament this year or they have a good season, make the NIT and show some progress and make it look like they've got good things brewing in the future. I can see him doing something like that because he's only got another year left on his contract. But at the same time, I think they've also got to build a little bit more fan excitement. It's hard to judge exactly how much fan excitement there is right now because, I mean, nobody's going to come out and watch him play Green Bay on a Sunday. Nobody's going to come watch him play North Dakota on a Sunday, even if they were undefeated right now. I don't think those would be great crowds. So not only do they have to win, but I think they have to win in a way that convinces fans to start coming back to Bramlage by the end of the year. And if he gets excitement going a little bit, can get to a postseason, I think that's his ticket back. But if he doesn't get both those things, then you're probably looking at some type of mutually agreed upon departure where he either retires or takes a different job at K-State. I think those are the two options we're looking at right now. I think we saw there was, you know, pretty quick turnaround from the K-State fan base, especially the students on that momentum. You beat Wichita State, and then immediately that Wednesday night game against Marquette, the student section was loaded, and they were fired up. Like, any sort of success, I think, and you'll get at least the students back because they want to be excited. They want to watch, you know, winners. So if you can start get a couple of those wins rolling, you know, I, I think you could see some some snowball effect, at least at home, getting the students to show up. The old people that, you know, the, the seat back people like, yep, yeah. That's you know, what I was going to say. a lot chair backs on the other side of the floor. That's the ones that you got to worry <laughs> about. I mean, those are the ones with the money too, but the students are the ones you see on TV at least. So if you yeah. can get them full, at least it looks a lot better to the TV viewing audience. Yeah, I think it, it, it's it, it's it, the fact that we're still talking about this and and it really hasn't come to any any consensus on uh, I mean the fact that we're still talking about what Bruce has to do to keep his job. There's enough people that I think that have given up on Bruce at this point and uh, I would say the direction of the program over the last couple over the last two years that you know talking about those chairbacks talking about those don- the you know the, those folks that could be donors or or you know those particular folks I don't think that that ship is turning without having a tremendous Big 12 season you know if we get if we go if we go 500 in Big 12 play that's not changing that that's not changing the, the direction of that boat I don't think Right. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. What record do you think it would take? What record do you think it would take to get everybody back on board with what we got here without making without changing the direction with the coach? I think you're looking at. Oh, I think you're looking at eleven and seven at worst. I don't think nine and nine and nine gets it done. I think you're looking at eleven and seven to turn that boat around. I think twelve and six probably probably solidifies it. I was definitely going to say, you got to get double digit wins in conference play. 10 is the floor to get those, those to come back. Like, like you've got to look like a legit attorney team. Yeah. And I think there's, I think there's some other caveats. We, uh, you know, as we think about it a little bit more talking about like postseason births and that sort of thing, I think, you know, I think like you said, like you said, Keller, I think getting rid of a, getting rid of a coach that took a team to the NCAA tournament, especially a team that people were so low on at the beginning of the season, that's really hard to do. Right. The NIT thing starts to become a little bit more of a gray area. I think an, the, an NIT birth 
with everybody coming back except for Mike McGurl is the thing. Like if you get an NIT berth and you have three people transfer out and Mike graduates and everything like that, you know, it's hard to make an argument that you're going to see some, you're going to see some, some stability in the program to really build off of moving forward. So. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting dance. I mean, yeah, I can see like, like, like you guys just say, I mean, if, even if he makes the NCAA tournament, but he does it in a way where they win like eight conference games, you know, they're one of the very last at large teams to get in. Is that really going to fire anybody up? Probably not. Probably not. So he's definitely improvement mode right now. And, um, this definitely feels like a year where Bruce could beat KU in Lawrence and still get fired. Because <laughs> I've seen it happen. Woldridge did it. When it happened. Woldridge <laughs> did it. I was gonna say. Well, that would that would be fitting if that's how if that's how it goes down. Seems a neck brace at the end of the year. <laughs> he should do that. He should do that just for the wolves. Go, go into go into February wearing a wearing a neck brace. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that's it's completely out of the question for a guy who wants out a funeral funeral bill self, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, probably time to to wrap this thing up. Kellis, as always, appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, you can check out Kellis stuff. He's on Twitter at Kellis Robinette with two T's and. Can- no, I'm good. But uh, thanks for having me on. It's always good talking some K State sports with you guys. Yeah. All right. So, thanks, yeah, Eric. No problem. Thanks for having us.